has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Many of us have heard people say that passing a kidney stone is the most painful experience ever. Imagine feeling that deep, twisting, cramping pain for two days or even weeks the time it could take to pass the stone. Women will say it's worse than labor pain. On the spectrum of pain intensity, labor pain is about the highest, along with cluster headaches. Naturally, nobody would want to feel this type of pain. But what if it happens to us, and how can we prevent it from happening? Our guest today will help us answer those questions. Ty Ford, audio engineer and co-producer of Aches and Gains, will revisit his experience with passing a kidney stone and share just how he got through the worst pain of his life. Then Dr. Brian Mutlaga, director of stone disease for the Brady Urological Institute at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, joins us. He'll give us cutting-edge information on risks, prevention, and in this show, treatments for kidney stones. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, and The Pain Community. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Ty Ford is an experienced audio engineer, videographer, and former radio show host, and current practitioner of both chakra balancing and qigong. He's the co-producer and editor of Aches and Gains. Ty, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Great to be here with you, Paul. On our last show, you talked about feeling the passing of a kidney stone in the right lower quadrant of your abdomen and how extraordinarily painful that experience was for you. You also mentioned having referred pain to the right of your belly button, which warned you that a stone was about ready to pass. A lot of patients will say that when the stone is passing, they can't find any body position to relieve it. What did you do? I had this back massager which uh, with a curved handle so that you can uh, throw this thing over your shoulder and it's got a, um, a head on it the size of a large cheeseburger. <laughs> and you hit the switch and it's heated and it vibrates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I put that on the mattress and rolled over onto it uh, that specific part of my abdomen where I was experiencing the most intense pain. Yeah. And, uh, I guess the vibrator, um, confused the pain signals uh-huh. and actually took away the pain, uh, re- reduced it, didn't take it away. It reminds me of how really effective distraction could be as we learned uh, in a show that we did called Virtual Reality Distraction. Uh, Ty, what was the pain like? I mean, was it deep? Was it achy, twisting? It is deep. It is sharp. It is wide. I could actually push hard enough into my abdomen with my thumb to find close to the center of it. I'm surprised you were able to do that. Uh, Me too. (laughs) 
And you'll do anything to try to find it, move it, and get it to stop hurting. And in fact, what did you do to make it stop hurting? I mean, did you reach for Tylenol, Advil, for example? The pain was so acute that it was like, this is nothing, this is nothing I want aspirin or Tylenol for. Get me some serious stuff. This is not something to mess around with. Yeah. And that, that led to a problem when I was at one, on one visit to the emergency room at a local hospital. I knew what it was. I came in. I was in ER, uh, lying on a gurney in amazing pain. Mm -hmm. I was groaning. I was in so much pain. Yeah. And the nurse said, groaning doesn't help with the pain, sir. Had I had the strength, I would have hit her. Yeah, no, I, I can understand. And I'm sorry you had to experience that. Pain is mostly invisible. And it's sad that even trained health professionals don't understand that it's real. Uh, Ty, how long did you experience the pain before getting to the emergency room? It depended. I was uh, on a video shoot about 20 miles outside of State College, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the afternoon, got that all too familiar early warning sign down in the right groin of like, uh-oh. And then the inability to urinate. And fortunately, someone on the crew had some heavy-duty Tylenol with something else in it. Tylenol 3? They said, here, try, try a couple of these. Mm-hmm. At which point I would have swallowed an elephant to get rid of the pain. <laughs> yeah. And I said, yeah, you bet. And did. And, uh, and, and that got to the pain. I got to it early enough, got out in front of it. And that's really important. That's key. And you mentioned Tylenol number three. The number three component is codeine, which is an opioid. And I think really the opioids are what are necessary to help reduce this type of excruciating pain. How long in your case, Ty, did it take for the stone to pass? I mean, usually it takes maybe two days. It can take even weeks or so. My stone took a number of years to pass. No. Yeah. Finally, when the guy uh, did the CT scan uh, or MRI, I forget which it was, uh, after doubting me and suggesting that I was making this up, mm -hmm. said, jeepers, <laughs> there's a jack stone almost a half inch in your right ureter. Wow. No wonder you hurt. Apparently, this thing had been inching down my right ureter from the kidney to the bladder. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, it's not going to really make it. It's at that point where the ureter curves and it's stuck in the corner. We're going to have to go in after it. Wow. You know, did you have any blood tests after they did the CT scan or the MRI to help diagnose the condition? They did. That was part of, uh, in the early stages. And they said, yeah, calcium is, eh, it's a little high, but it's not the borderline. It's... It's not outrageous. That, mm -hmm. It wasn't until they, uh, they did the PTH that was the deciding factor. And, that, and I was told that that's not always something that doctors think about. And, you know, if, if people who are listening now have had kidney stone pain and haven't had a PTH uh, blood test, I'd advise you to get one uh, sooner rather than later. Good point. I think you're right. Doctors typically don't consider elevated parathyroid hormone levels as, as the source of kidney stones. PTH, by the way, is short for parathyroid hormone, which is a hormone secreted by the parathyroid glands. And uh, the purpose is to increase calcium concentration in the blood by acting on both the kidney and the bone primarily. Uh, Ty, earlier you mentioned that you needed surgery to remove this quite large kidney stone. What was that like? It was described to me, we're going to go up there, up where? How are you going to get there? Transurethrally, I see. <laughs> uh, and then what are you going to do? Well, we're going to mechanically dilate the ureter as it enters the bladder mm -hmm. and use a blue holium laser 
to break up the stone. Then we're going to put a stent in the ureter because <laughs> I love the, I remember this quite well, because the ureter will be angry then and uh, we don't want it to close up. Mm -hmm. So we'll take out what we can then and uh, then we'll come back later and, uh, and then we'll get the stent out that we put in. That's, uh, how are you going to do that? Well, we'll go back up there again. Again? Yes. Okay. Well, then you had the stent removed, and you also had a parathyroidectomy to remove the hyperplastic parathyroid glands that led to the kidney stone development. Uh, Ty, did you make any dietary changes or, or uh, changes in your water intake, for example? You need to be fully uh, hydrated in, in order to keep the crystals from forming. Uh, and are you? Oh, yeah. I've taken to drinking, uh, you know, a full tumbler of water after dinner, sometime before bed, maybe with uh, two or three uh, tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. Right, and water consumption is important in preventing kidney stones from forming, along the lines of two to three liters a day. And, and Ty, what did you use to help get you through the really, really agonizing pain of passing the stones? Eight hundred milligram tablets of ibuprofen. The tamsulosin hydrochloride, uh -huh. oxycodone with acetaminophen, 5-325, on Dancetron ODT. Okay, so the tamsulosin is known as Flomax, which relaxes smooth muscle in the ureter and the bladder, for example, and allows urine to flow. And then the ondansetron is known as Zofran, which is an anti-emetic or anti-nausea medicine that can be very helpful with visceral pain, which is what we're talking about here. Ty, which of those medicines that you described was really the most helpful for you? Oxycodone. If you have another kidney stone attack, what will you do differently? Get out in front of the pain as quickly as you can, uh, because at a certain point, the pain is so acute that you're going to need some serious pain meds. Yeah. Uh, the Dilaudid, for example, uh, that I got when I was in the hospital. Great, great advice. And Ty Ford, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Always a pleasure for me to be in your company. Don't go away. After the break, we're joined once again by Dr. Brian Matlaga, urologist and director of stone disease at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Health is a leading health solutions company that delivers accurate, timely, clinical actionable information to inform the right treatment decisions for each patient at the right time. Millennium offers a comprehensive suite of services to better tailor patient care. More information is available at www.millenniumhealth.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare, connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back. Dr. Brian Matlaga is an associate professor of urology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He's a recognized expert in the medical and surgical management of patients with urinary stone disease. He also has an expertise in minimally invasive surgical techniques. 
Dr. Mutlaga, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Oh, thank you for having me. Last time, we said that 70 to 80 percent of kidney stones are composed of calcium, uh, specifically calcium oxalate or phosphate, that very low urine volume and lots of crystals in the urine puts us at risk for developing stones, that we've seen an increase in prevalence of kidney stones in patients with obesity and diabetes, and finally, that that deep cramping pain of a kidney stone occurs from what we think is an obstruction to urine flow that then distends the ureter or the kidney. Our previous guest, Ty Ford, mentioned that when he was passing a stone, I mean, the pain was so excruciating that he wanted to claw the windshield out of his car. Is that the type of pain that patients report to you? The pain that brings them to the ER, they describe as just, you know, really uh, kind of roll around on the floor kind of pain. You just can't get comfortable. It's a constant pressure. Mm-hmm. So it kind of comes on like a thunderclap. Yeah. And it holds on for a period of time, you know, say, you know, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, and then it begins to ease off again. And we think that's because the stone may move into a position where it's no longer completely blocking the kidney, but mm-hmm. it's allowing some urine to drain from the kidney. Uh, Brian, do you feel that the severe pain starts in the flank and then moves to the groin or to the pubis? Where do patients typically describe the migration of pain? Early in the process of passing it, when the stone is still up near the kidney as it's moving down the ureter, mm-hmm. the pain oftentimes is in the flank or the back. Yeah. And then as it gets closer and closer to the bladder the pain tends to migrate more so it's moving more towards the front, so kind of towards, you know, the area right over the bladder, like the pubic bone. Sometimes it'll radiate almost down into the groin a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then as the stone gets closer to the bladder, you know, as it's about to pass into the bladder, the bladder will start to get a little irritable from it. And so that usually will manifest as uh, urinary urgency and frequency or a sensation of having to go to the bathroom more often than you'd consider to be normal. And when you got to go, you really got to go, like with a little warning. Yeah. And that referred pain that we're talking about can even travel to areas uh, like the thigh, the scrotum in men, and the labia in women. Uh, Dr. Matlaga, how often do patients say to you, gosh, this was the worst pain of my life, even worse than childbirth or breaking a bone? Even men will describe it as worse than childbirth. (laughs) Um, Everyone, it seems, who's had a kidney stone really remembers that kidney stone. Yeah. It's incredibly severe pain with, like, really thunderclap onset. You know, you could be eating dinner one minute, and the next minute you're just on the floor. You know, once you've had one stone, you can then, if you ever have a second, you're like, okay, I know what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of know what to expect. But that first stone is oftentimes very scary for people because really they don't know what's going on. Yeah. And it's intense pain, and you don't know did something just burst or you know what's going on inside of me. Right. And I think that's uh, as much of, uh, of the scariness about it as the severe pain itself. Absolutely. And it's also associated with nausea and vomiting, cramping, and diarrhea because it triggers the autonomic nervous system, uh, which is known as the sympathetic or, or parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, you know, it's a visceral kind of pain. It almost gets the patients into this vicious cycle where they have, you know, severe onset of pain. They have nausea associated with it. They go to take a pain medication like a pill, and then they wind up just throwing it up so right. they can't get effective pain relief because uh-huh. they're not absorbing the pain medicine. Right. And then they get a little dehydrated because they're throwing up, and then that, you know, doesn't help either. And so it's this whole spiral they start going down, and that's usually where they'll wind up in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. In the emergency room... You can get IV fluids, you get rehydrated, they can give you pain medication for the IV so the pain can get, you know, you can get improvement in the pain. Mm-hmm. And that sort of resets the meter, gets the patient back comfortable again. Patients tend to, it seems, with kidney stones, they're in the ER once, 
then they don't tend to bounce back to the ER as often as one would think oh. by passing the stone. I don't know why that is. If it's just then they're better able to get ahead of and stay ahead of the pain yeah. you know, than, than they were in that initial episode. But it's an interesting phenomenon. It is. You know, the sheer impact of the pain drives patients to the emergency room. But how often is a renal stone an actual emergency? It's rare. The big one that we always worry about is infection mm-hmm. trapped above the stone. Yeah. So again, if you think of it as a plumbing system, as the stone's moving down and it's causing the upstream blockage, if there's bacteria in that blockage and the urine's under pressure, they may be able to get into the bloodstream and you know develop the patient would develop sepsis in that event. Sure. And that's a true emergency because that could be a fatal condition. Absolutely. And by the way, microscopic blood accompanies all stones, but some patients will see visible blood uh, when the stone passes or even after the stone passes. Uh, Brian, which tests are important in evaluating whether the pain is indeed from a kidney stone? I mean, is there one test that everybody should get? The, the test that's most commonly ordered and really considered kind of the gold standard test would be a, a CAT scan. Mm-hmm. You know, within seconds, you know, if the, pa- the patient has a kidney stone or if they have appendicitis or if they have something else. Right. Oftentimes, we try and start imaging those patients with something like an ultrasound so we don't expose them to the radiation of a CAT scan. Mm-hmm. But if you come to the ER, you know, doubled over in pain, you know, you have to make a diagnosis quickly so you can then you know, administer proper therapy. Then a CAT scan is going to be really the test of choice. Okay. And how about blood tests? We'd look at the white blood cell count, which are the infection-fighting cells. Mm-hmm. So we'll look at some blood work, look at the renal function, the electrolyte. You know, uh, we'll perform a urinalysis to make sure there's not any infection um, or anything suggestive of infection in the urine, too. Now, how about uh, urine collection tests? I think uh, Ty, our previous guest, mentioned that he his urine was strained uh, for the presence of stones. What we'd like to do is to be able to collect the stone so we can then analyze it to see what it's made of. In the setting of patients who have more than one stone, mm-hmm. we will typically, for those patients, have them do what we call 24-hour urine collection. What we will actually collect is a day's worth of urine. So every time the patient uh, empties their bladder, it'll be collected in a receptacle, and then that gets sent off to the lab. And that will tell us really why the patient is forming these kidney stones. That's right. So, for example, is there too much calcium in the urine or oxalate, or, or is the urine volume too low? Dr. Mitlaga, for those who continue to form stones... What do you give them to reduce the pain? For recurrent stone formers, you know, we try to make sure they have an adequate supply of, of pain medication at home. Yeah. Typically, the, the most common thing we use is a short-acting narcotic like oxycodone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes patients prefer, you know, hydrocodone or, you know, Tylenol with codeine. And if that fails to give them relief, then, you know, they, they need something stronger. And usually that's going to be something IV. Right, which they would get in the emergency room. And by the way, uh, does the short-acting opioid like oxycodone, for example, help prevent patients from going to the emergency room? Usually what will happen is the, the patient will feel the pain coming on. They'll take the narcotic and they'll call us. And then we'll order an imaging study, whether it be like an ultrasound and x-ray or a CT scan to try to make the diagnosis. And mm-hmm. then begin the counseling of, okay, it's small. I think if we keep you on the, the narcotic, you'll be able to pass it. Or, well, you know, it's a little bit large or you're a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe we should go ahead and do a procedure throughout the whole process, keeping the patient out of the emergency room. Yeah. You know, because the emergency room really is an awful place to be if you don't have to be there. <laughs> Absolutely. When we come back from the break, we'll find out just what we can do to get stones to pass more quickly. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. 
check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Brian Matlaga, Associate Professor of Urology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And Brian, how do we get stones to pass more quickly? What we started to use is a, a medication called tamsulosin, which is a, an alpha blocker. Uh-huh. And it turns out that the receptors that these medications target in both men and women are present in the lower part of the ureter, the part of the ureter that's closest to the bladder. Right. And so by taking these medications, there have been about a dozen studies now looking at patients who are prescribed these medications compared to patients given you know, a sugar pill. Mm-hmm. And the patients prescribed these medications tend to pass their stones uh, more quickly and with less discomfort. Oh, well, that's great to know. The brand name for Tamsulosin is Flomax, and an alpha blocker, relaxes smooth muscle in our bodies, and the ureter and the bladder, as a matter of fact, are composed of smooth muscle. And Brian, what do patients do if the stone or stones just don't pass? Either with shockwave lithotripsy, and so that's using shockwaves or sound waves to blast the stone, uh-huh. and that breaks it into fine powder, which is then washed out of the kidney. Or we can go into the kidney with a little scope through the urethra, and use a laser to break the stone into small pieces and then remove those pieces. Okay, so we talked about how to treat the stones once they're there. What about how to prevent stones from forming? Some of it will be, will be modulated um, based on activity and climate, but as a rough ballpark, our goal fluid intake would be about two liters per day. Any, any liquid's going to count towards the target, but you know we prefer that most of it come through uh, as water. Okay, Brian, what about calcium supplementation in patients who have osteoporosis and have a history of calcium stones? The only way to do that is to figure out before the supplement how much calcium was in the urine, and then after you put them on the supplement, how much calcium is in the urine. And if it's gone up by a lot and it's putting the patient at increased risk for stone formation, mm-hmm. then you don't necessarily have to discontinue the calcium supplement but you probably will want to add in another medication to try and remove some of that calcium from the urine. Okay, that makes sense. Now, how about preventing stones? For example, the common folklore is by drinking lemon juice or lemonade, you can prevent kidney stones from forming. There's something in the urine called citric acid um, or citrate, and what citrate does is it prevents calcium crystals from sticking to other calcium crystals, so it inhibits the process of stone formation. Mm-hmm. A researcher at University of California, San Francisco, back in the 90s, prescribed to patients what he called the lemonade diet, which was <laughs> having them drink lemonade every day, but it was to the tune of about two liters of lemonade a day. Wow. To achieve uh, citrate intake, that would be comparable to what you could do with a pill. Yeah. It's an incredible amount of uh, citrus that you'd have to take in. Indeed. So no, no lemonade diet then. Dr. Matlaga, if we've had one stone and gone through the agony of, of having passed it, many of us would be frightened that we're going to generate more stones. What's the risk of that? If you have one kidney stone, there's about a 50% chance of having another stone in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, that you really want to try to move towards a more sort of natural type diet of eating less processed things, because that's going to reduce the amount of sodium and the amount of fats and all these things that have negative health effects. Yeah. Certainly for kidney stones, but also for other diseases too. Absolutely. And before we close, Brian, what's important for all of us to know about kidney stones? 
pain that seems just, you know, abdominal, back pain that, you know, always have in the back of your mind that it could be a kidney stone. Mm -hmm. If you had a kidney stone today, I think you're glad that you didn't have one 10 years ago because I think we're doing things better now than we did 10 years ago. We're also better able now, I think, to uh, medically prevent stones through these things like 24-hour urine studies, through medications, um, than we have been in the past. And that's great news. And Dr. Mutlaga, it's been a pleasure having you on Aches and Gains today. No, thank you very much for the invitation. It was a lot of fun. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.